those of you who do not know me, uh, I am Chris. Uh, I've been, uh, I went to Charleston Southern University. I've been in the Charleston area for maybe, I heard a whoop whoop, that's what I'm talking about. New head coach, for those of you who care. Uh, probably about none of you, minus one. And, uh, but, um, anyways, graduated from Charleston Southern. I've been in the area for, I guess, eight or nine years now. And currently, I, I teach at Palmetto Christian Academy. Uh, which is a school here at East Cooper. Uh, I'm one of our Bible teachers. In fact, this is my classroom. Once this kind of wall divides everything up during the week, uh, this section right here would be my classroom. So I'm uh, kind of in my comfort zone as much as I can be um, with our text being Revelation today. Uh, and um, with that being said, I do, I do want to point out um, kind of on that note, just some p- preliminary thoughts, if you will, is, uh, before we get into the text, um, some kind of half-jokingly, one a little bit kind of more serious where maybe we can dialogue a little bit. Uh, as I was studying this passage, of, we'll be in Revelation 14 today, um, and just kind of consulting some commentaries and, you know, getting a little bit of help on, on what's going on and such. Uh, one of the commentaries, uh, gentlemen, um, uh, referred to this passage as quite possibly the most enigmatic or hardest passage to interpret, the first five verses, that is, in the book of Revelation. Thank you, Leland. Um, but also, with, I mean, with that being said, I think it's, it's an overstatement on his part. Uh, and um, along with that, which kind of leads me into my, into my question for you all this morning, um, like most of my friends who have kind of, you know, so oh, we're going to be doing Revelation 14, I, I get about the same response. Like, Whoa! You know, you could have chose, you know, there's a lot of other books in the Bible. Um, and, uh, and so my, my question for y'all is, uh, why? why? Why do we kind of approach Revelation like this? We, we've done 13 chapters, and um, for those of you who've been here throughout this series, at least when I have been here, Leland has done an outstanding job, uh, not only of expositing the text, but, but helping us see its, 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 its application to, uh, to the world we live in today. And... Um, why do y'all think? Why, why, why do we look at Revelation like this? Like, whoa, what are some things in the book of Revelation? It's confusing. What is that? Confusing, most certainly. What makes it confusing? It's all over the place. All over the place. It is. And even, uh, yes, it is. I mean, from this vision to that vision, and is there, there's, it's hard to kind of track some sort of cr- chronology or, chron- yes, chronology of the text. Um, go for it. Yeah, like probably confusing, Kent. Uh, like we know, it was written by John, and a lot of times he's seeing into the future, and I, we know very, very, very far into mm-hmm. the future at this point in time. And so, you know, he wouldn't really know how to make sense of all that stuff. Sure, this is probably his best attempt to do so. Sure, sure, absolutely. Go ahead, Warren. Well, I think for those of us that, uh, that you know, really grew up in the church and grew mm-hmm. up reading hearing the Word, it's one of those things. I know it is for me where... You know, sometimes you'd ask ask a question to your parents or your Sunday school teacher or whatever, uh, growing up about Revelation, mm-hmm. and they'd be like, "That's real meaty. Like you're not. That's 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 Don't not worry about something that. that you're ready for yet." Yeah. And so, mm. yeah. So it's almost as if the church, in some ways, hasn't really prepared us to uh, to encounter texts like Revelation. Good. Um, go for it. Another thing is um, like just the genre mm-hmm. of book it is. Of mm-hmm. being a Yes. Yes. That's a great way to describe it. Very good. Um, In which case, I think really everything else kind of fits underneath that. It's confusing because of the nature of genre. Um, The church has kind of, in some ways, avoided maybe the book of Revelation because the nature of the genre. Um, So, and not only prophecy, uh, but which probably makes it harder, apocalyptic literature. Um, literature of the end times. And so uh, the best illustration I've heard about this, and we'll jump into the text. Um, uh, Leland touched on this when we started, and, and so I don't want to overdo it. But the best illustration I've heard of this is like, I like guess just imagine we all pull out our cell phones, and 
we're all just going to jump on a plane and go do a missions trip together to some, let's say, like, like tribal nation who, has, who is living in the Stone Age, so to speak. Okay? And we all take our cell phones. Okay? And then we want, we're, so our, our goal, okay, the first thing we want to do when we get there, okay, yeah, it is a mission trip, but we're going to do this first. That's the way of the illustration. First thing we're going to do when we get there is we're going to try to explain to one of these individuals what a cell phone is. All right, so like think to yourself how you would do that. Now you're, you're talking to somebody who, who has no idea about electricity. Um, you're talking to somebody who has uh, no idea about all the modern advances of technology. And so essentially you have to start in square one. You know, tell them about electricity. Maybe you're using the vines in the trees, if you will, and how electricity moves. And so the book of Revelation is a lot like that as an apocalyptic book. Okay, John is seeing these visions from God that are some prophecy going to happen within history, some apocalyptic that is bringing history to a close. And most all of them are visions that are, that are, that are, that are of heaven. Okay, and so these are categories for us that, that we don't really have. All right, so it does make the book a little bit harder, which is why we run into a significant amount of symbolism, because that's the best way for us to understand what John is trying to convey. And so we're going to, of course, run into that some this morning as well. So, yeah, let me, let me pray for us, and we'll get going. We'll read the text and, and jump right in. Uh, Father, we just uh, we thank you that you've spoken. Um, you've, God, you, you've spoken and, and that your word is truth. That your word is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. Um, and we just, we just pray, God, for your spirit to come. Uh, search our hearts. God, uh, make application of your word in our lives that we may, God, be like you, um, that we may glorify you and worship you with our lives. And so, um, God, we just pray, Lord, you lead this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, quick <clears throat> synopsis. If we're ever lost in here, which you know, I myself could get lost at some point, um, this is kind of our basic outline of what's going on in this text. Okay, so we, we, we really have two uh, visions, if you will, that are taking place. All right, the first vision is going to be the triumph of the faithful in heaven. All right, that's what we're going to look at first. This is verses 1 through 5. And then we're going to look at the future of destruction for the wicked. The future of destruction for the wicked. And you'll see how we're going to approach each one of these sections as well. All right, so I'll do my best to kind of tell you where we're at at times. Um, but if we do get lost, or even if I get lost, we can just follow what's behind me. Um, so, uh, Revelation 14. Um, I would Let's have two people read this. Who would like to read? Two people read. Preferably if you have an ESV version just to keep it consistent. That's what I'll be using. And, all right. If you can take verses 1 to 5 for us. So you got the short part, and somebody's going to have the long part here. All right, so you're going to have 6 to 20. All right, here we go. And I looked, and behold, at Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with them 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne, and before the four living creatures, and before the elders. No one could learn that song except 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth and sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, following, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She made who all nations drink the wine of passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on its forehead or his hand, he will also drink of the wine of God's wrath. 
poured full of the strength of the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest, day or night, these worshippers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their, for their deeds follow them. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple of heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. He called out with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and the blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse as high as a horse's bridle for 1600 stadia awesome thanks guys um <clears throat> so does anybody remember uh i guess back in the day maybe back in childhood uh, we had these um they were like photographic slides all right so you like put this thing up to your face and i think you kind of pulled a lever and thing would switch slides bam all right, you see a new picture, and then, you know, new picture. All right, and so you keep flipping these slides, and you're getting new, new pictures, new images, okay? Obviously, severely outdated. In fact, as I Googled it, um, like, you know, all the technology is like how to take these photographic slides and get them to your digital device. Um, but the point is this. Uh, in Revelation 13, all right, we see, okay, a specific photographic slide. All right, Leland did this last week, and so quick overview, if you will. Uh, we see here that God has given authority to Satan. Okay, I believe Leland um, emphasized God's sovereignty in this passage. That God has given authority to Satan to conquer the saints and deceive the world. Okay, so this is a future end time. All right, this is a future time on earth and where these two beasts are literary, uh, literal figures who will come. Okay, and so <clears throat> here's this picture in some, in, in many ways, that is dark and ominous, a picture of suffering for the saints. Okay, and, and, and I believe Leland pointed out the sharing of suffering of the saints and, and Jesus as the Lamb who conquers by being conquered, who, who, who conquers through suffering. Um, and so this is a dreary picture, okay, and this is a future time. Um, and... Now here in Revelation 14, all right, we're flipping the slide, okay, flipping the slide. So as you all probably heard right at the beginning of the passage in verses 1 through 5, we're going to see the triumph of the faithful, that there is a triumphal time in heaven of those who have endured, okay? And so really today what this text, all right, what this text is, is teaching us, or at least one of the emphasis of the, te of the text that we're going to focus on today it's just two words, okay? Remain faithful. Remain faithful. All right? Um, we're going to break it down like this. So verses 1 through 5. Um, this is the triumph of the faithful in heaven. All right? We're going to ask four questions, okay? Triumph of the faithful in heaven. All right? Four questions that will help us understand uh, what is being explained here and what this vision is. All right? Question one. Um, who are they? All right. Who are these people? Okay. Who are these people? And so, of course, uh, right when we open the text, then I looked and behold. All right. This is the dramatic shift. Okay. This is the flipping of the slide. Then I looked and behold. All right. The first thing that John sees is a lamb standing victorious. All right. So uh, we cannot overlook 
the idea of, of, of this lamb, the title for Jesus that is used here. Um, this is John's favorite title for Jesus in the book of Revelation. He uses it, I believe, roughly about 28 times. Okay, 28 times. And, and he's after something with it. All right, John is after something and continually using okay, this title for Jesus to create this image for us. All right, so we look back at 13, and we have the saints who are suffering. Okay, and so John wants us to see here okay, that this, the intimacy of our suffering with Christ who, have, who has suffered, and that we also share in that with him. Okay, but here in this context, we see a triumph of this. We see a triumph of this. So we're, we're, reminded, of, we're reminded of passages, of course, like the Passover lamb. Okay, that uh, by this unblemished lamb who is slaughtered, this unblemished lamb who is slaughtered, the people of God, that, or excuse me, God's judgment would pass over the people of God. Okay, that, that, that they would be saved from judgment. Okay, or passages like Isaiah 53, okay, that he is like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. That surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves, we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. And so John is calling to mind these images as he puts before, a, before us the triumph of the Lamb. Okay, so now, who are these people? Okay, of course, this is the 144,000, all right, which uh, has been brought up already in the book of Revelation. Uh, does anybody remember what chapter that was in? Anybody recall the first encounter of this 144,000? If you flip back, you might have like one of the Bible subtitles there. It could help you. That's right. That's right, Jason. Chapter 7. Okay, and we see the 144,000 in chapter 7. Um, so uh, Leland, Leland touched on just kind of the, the interpretive issue here, if you will, of the, of the symbolism of this number and and what this number is, is symbolizing. Um, so just, just as a way of recap of what John has in mind here through using this 144,000, all right, is the complete redeemed people of God throughout all of history. Okay, this is, this is what John is after, all right, the complete people of God redeemed throughout all of history. All right, this is a symbolic usage of it, 12 times 12, 10 to the third, which is very common in apocalyptic literature. Um, and John is using that as a symbol for completeness. Um, and so we have this 144,000. All right. Uh, the most important thing about the 144,000 here, all right, the most important thing is that they have the mark of the Lamb and the Father. It's the most important thing about this 144,000 at this point in time. They have the mark of the Lamb and the Father. So if you remember back to chapter 13, we saw the mark of the beast, we saw the mark of Satan. All right, so there is a clear contrast right here okay, of those who are associated with Satan, who are associated with this world, and those who are associated with God. Okay, and, and, and really, and we, we will encounter, side note, I mean, uh, there will most certainly be, I guess, some uncomfortable things said this morning. Um, as you guys read this passage, you probably heard the fire and brimstone um, our culture has kind of thought of this as um, the fire and brimstone preacher, if you will. Um, and so, uh, and this in some ways is kind of an uncomfortable thought for us. What John does in Revelation 13 and 14 is, is he's teaching us, he's showing us that really th there's only two types of people. Like it's, it's those who are marked by the beast or those who are marked by the lamb and the father. And so God, God sees two types of people. Yes, in his omniscience, he sees, you know, all the individuality of how he has created each of us. But, but God sees two types of people, those, those who are against him, those who are for him. We see this throughout the entire book of Revelation. So what we learn, of course, from the New Testament context, from the New Testament context itself Okay, is that these who are associated with the Lamb and the Father, Mark 1.15, Jesus steps on the scene. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand. He says, repent and believe the gospel. So those who are marked by the Lamb and the Father are those who have repented and trusted in Christ. 
Those who have turned away from their sin, turned away from their wickedness, turned away from this world, turned away from the patterns of this world, and they've turned towards Jesus and trusted in Jesus as the lamb, the sacrifice, the substitute. And so the most important thing here about the 144,000 at this point is they are marked with the mark of the lamb and the father. Um, so uh, moving on, next question. All right, next question. Where are they? All right, so where is this 144,000? We see here in voice one, or excuse me, verse one, um, they are with the lamb on Mount, uh, Mount Zion. On Mount Zion. Okay, so uh, what is being depicted here, and, and as a side note as well, um, at times we'll spend more time on things, we'll spend less time on other things. All right, so I uh, just want, you know, so we just don't have the time to kind of double click on all in the same amount of time we would like to. Mount Zion, okay? Mount Zion. What is being depicted here is the heavenly Jerusalem. All right, what's being depicted here is the heavenly gathering of all believers, okay, in worship of the king. All right, this is most certainly an Old Testament reference, all right, to. Uh, almost every instance of Mount Zion in the Old Testament, okay, signifies uh, a future time when God's people would be delivered by God's mighty act, okay, and, and that, that they would be triumphal, that they would be victorious, that, that, they, would be, that they would celebrate, that they would worship. Okay, and so, so we get the same idea here. Mount Zion, this, this heavenly place where the Lamb and God the Father are at the center, and it is a time of triumph. It is a time of victory. It is a time of celebration. It is a time of rejoicing. All right. In contrast to chapter 13. Okay, so again, here we have this idea of what John is trying to do for us. He's saying, remain faithful. Look ahead to this time. Remain faithful. Yes. Chapter 13 is real. And God's people will suffer. He's saying, remain faithful. This is the destination of history for the believer. Worship of the Lamb. So where are they? They are on Mount Zion with the Lamb. Um, next question. Okay, next question. What are they singing? All right, we got some singing going on here. What are they singing? All right, before we get to what they are actually singing, all right, John uses three interest, interesting similes here, all right, because he's trying to describe the sound that he is hearing. Okay, John says that uh, the sound, I believe, is like roaring waters. All right, like roaring waters. Um, has anybody ever been to like Niagara Falls? Maybe it could be a decent illustration. No. Who's in the Buffalo? All right, cool. Jeez, man. Um, Niagara Falls, uh, very intense, very intense. And for those who kind of go on the boat down, you know, as close as they'll let you get to the actual falls, like even more intense, the sound of roaring waters. Okay, he says that this sound that he hears is as loud as thunder. All right, not really a Charleston thunderstorm is what he's after here. Uh, we go down to the Keys every summer with some friends, and sometimes we get some really bad thunderstorms there. Uh, coming off the Atlantic, not the thunderstorm of the Keys. Okay, John has in mind uh, the most magnificent, vicious kind of thunderstorm you can think of. But as sweet and soothing as harpists is the sound of the song that he is hearing. And so what he's doing, of course, is he's mixing these metaphors. All right, so John hears this sound and he's like, how do I describe it, Right? What, what can I pull from to kind of describe what I'm hearing? And of course, he can't truly describe exactly what he's hearing, but he's like, it is loud. It is thunderous. It's like roaring waters. It's, it's intense, but it's as sweet as harpists. It's as soothing as harpists. Um, if I may even try to illustrate what John is describing here, uh, I'm sure we all have a favorite college football team, correct? Um, most of which in the room, maybe between Clemson, South Carolina, which is normal for this area. No, maybe Florida, Florida State, Miami's, I'm sure, UCF, um, whatever it may be. 
so I'm sure um, we have, uh, I mean, we've, have we all been to like a college football game by chance? Or at least seen it on TV? The best example I can think of, me personally, um, uh, was Clemson Louisville, I think it was like two years ago. Um, yeah, that was Clemson's first national championship year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I'm not, not necessarily a Clemson fan, uh, but a friend of mine is, and it's like, you know, you can't get any better than this. We got a Heisman Trophy winner on the field. Like, and this is cool. Um, super, super intense game. And, like, this place was loud. All right? So we've all been there. And there's, like, emotions, of course, that are going on with this, right? Like, you're, you know, you're cheering. You're feeling the cheer. Okay? So, so, so take that. All right? Then take Niagara Falls. Put it behind you. Okay, so Niagara Falls is, 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 is falling behind you, and there's roaring waters. <laughs> and then, like, the most wicked thunderstorm you've ever heard is above. But it's all as sweet as harpus. And it's like the most soothing, loudest, intense sound you've ever heard. And all the sound, all the sound, the, the, the object of the noise, if you will, is the Lamb and God, the Father. And that is the object of the noise. And so John, again, is saying to us, long for this day. Look to this day. This is a day of triumph. And we can think about the most intense times of joy we've had in our life. I mean, not even in comparison to what is being described here. The Lamb is at the center. God is at the center. Okay, which, which really does raise an obvious question for us in many ways. Okay, so, so that's a day we long for. Well, what is at the center today? What's at the center of our lives and our hearts today? Right, and so we're all familiar, of course, with like the pie diagram, okay, where you have, you know, if you, if you draw a pie and at the center of the pie, um, you know, all the pieces stem from this center piece of the pie. And, 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 and unfortunately, in, in, in many ways, like we're at the center of, of, of this pie and our whole life is just about us and the consumption of everything for us. And, and I'll be the first to raise my hand. Well, John's saying, like, live, not only live with Christ at the center right now, but he's saying, understand that uh, there's a time that will come when, when, when it, it will no longer be a battle. <laughs> like, you won't be fighting against sin to put God at the center. He's saying a time is going to come when, when it's just free-flowing. It's, 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 it's natural at this time because of God's decisive act. Because of God's decisive act of deliverance. Um, so, uh, what are they singing? We have the similes in this loud song. Very briefly, it is a new song. Okay, it is a new song. Um, the depiction of this new song here, uh, very common, not only throughout Revelation, um, but borrowed really from the Old Testament and what, what, what uh, think of like Exodus 15. All right, so Exodus 14 is the exodus of Egypt, God delivering his people from oppression all right, through his mighty act of parting the Red Sea. Okay, and then in Exodus 15, we get this long praise of the people. All right, and they're really throwing like a dance party. I mean, they're dancing, they are praising. Okay, and so these new songs, what in, in, in the context is that this is a, 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 a song of deliverance upon God's decisive, decisive act of, of, of delivering his people. Song of deliverance upon God's decisive act. Um, so it's a new song. It's a new song. All right. Uh, or fourthly, what are they singing? We are number four. What are they like? What are they like? Um, we do run into some textual issues here, if you will, with just some of the descriptions of, of, um, of what these individuals are like. And, 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 and I'm not maybe going to spend a whole lot of time, but I, I do want to point out here, here's the point, okay, so uh, that John is, is trying to make as he's describing uh, this 144,000, the redeemed people of God. John is saying that they are pure, they are pure disciples of Jesus who offer themselves as gifts to God. They are pure 
disciples of Jesus who offer themselves as gifts to God. All right, so we're going to uh, spend a little bit of time on each of these designations, and we got to get moving. Uh, we're all right. So, um, not defiled. Uh, they have not defiled themselves with women. Um, literally in the text, they are virg- virgins. So John, of course, all right, is not referring to a literal sense of celibacy uh, uh, by, his, by his terminology here. All right, but rather this is a symbolism that, of course, that, that's borrowed from the Old Testament. Okay, so we see countless times throughout the Old Testament um, that uh, countless times throughout the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is is referred to as a virgin. Okay, and what all of this is denoting throughout the Old Testament, what John wants to uh, communicate to us here. Okay, is 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 a, a pure, faithful, covenantal relationship. Okay, so on the contrary, we many of us may be familiar with Hosea, and as the nation of Israel is referred to graphically as a harlot. Okay, in other words, that 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 this is a pure, undefiled people that they are not giving themselves over to the things of the world, to the wickedness of the world, to the patterns of the world, okay, to the to the sin of the world, that they are not giving themselves over to these things. They are a pure people. Um, we'll make, yes, we'll make one comment at the end that kind of wraps all these together as well. Uh, secondly, follow the lamb wherever he goes. All right, they follow the lamb wherever he goes. This is uh, certainly an idea of discipleship. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. Uh, meaning, uh, like John, or excuse me, Mark 8, chapter 8 would be very helpful here. Um, that Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily, and to follow him. Um, that they are disciples of Jesus. They follow Jesus. Okay, we are disciples of Jesus. Are we following Jesus? Um, uh, we're going to kind of combine these last two here. Uh, well, really three. Redeemed from mankind, first fruits. Um, there is no lie found in their mouth. Redeemed from mankind, first fruits. No lie found in their mouth. Uh, redeemed from mankind, of course, is this idea of purchasing. Okay, the idea of purchasing that um, that God has uh, purchased or bought us again out of the things of this world. All right, He's purchased us. He's bought us out from from sin, from the death and strangling hold of sin on our lives. He's bought and purchased us out of everything Western culture, every lie that Western culture wants us to believe about life, that if we pursue these things and they are ultimate, they are life. God has purchased us. Okay, why has he purchased us? To make us first fruits. Okay, first fruits. And here in, in, in the time of the New Testament, this has come to be a term that refers to um, uh, simply an offering or a gift. Okay, that we are first fruits, that we are an offering or a gift to God. No lie is found in their mouth. They are blameless. Again, okay, the idea of purity, blamelessness, all right? In the context of the New Testament, this, 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 this must be said, of course, um, this purity, this blamelessness, this offering, okay, is certainly not something that is just achieved by our own doing. It's not something that, that we can muster up. It's, it's rather something that, that Christ has accomplished for us, that he is blameless, and that he has freely offered to us his righteousness. All right, so there is an eternal sense of this, okay, an eternal sense of, of an eternal standing before God is righteous, and a very real immediate sense of walk in righteousness, walk as these people. Um. And so, what are they like? Again, they are pure disciples of Jesus who give their lives as an offering to God. Uh, One last comment to wrap up this first section. Um, So, the first five verses we get, of course, this triumphal picture of, of God's pure, undefiled people in worship, singing loudly, joyfully in worship of God. Um. This is an eternal song. And John's whole point, 
against Revelation 13 and the suffering of the saint is to call this, these, the, the, the immediate audience to remain faithful. That's his whole point. And so I, I want to point out just one simple idea that I believe has maybe kind of trickled into uh, certainly, yeah, yeah, into, yeah, it's into, li- into Western life, um, maybe more so than we think. Uh, the idea of secularism, okay, which is simply living for this present age. Okay, very, very popular. In fact, uh, the majority of college professors now um, are human secularists, okay, and they would attend to this worldview. All right, living for the present age. Okay, so uh, like at least, you know, YOLO, I think you only live once is certainly a slogan of this lifestyle. Um, and and would, would we maybe commit ourselves to that wholly? Um, I, I don't think so, if, certainly if we're redeemed in the Lord. And, but what, what, what I'm cautious of, what's, what I'm fearful of is, is that it has, it kind of trickles into our life in, in small ways that maybe we just, we don't realize. Um, so we, we did an assignment here with our 12th grade uh, as we were studying this in our worldviews class. And they're basically looking up, uh, I believe, different quotes and songs and things of that nature. Where they've seen this worldview throughout the culture. And I was blown away. I mean, it's everywhere. I mean, every song is about this. Almost every Western idea is about building something now for this present age. And so we, as believers, are called to remain faithful to Christ in looking to another age. And looking to this time of triumph and victory. Um, All right, so that ends the triumph of the faithful in heaven. Um, secondly, and, and uh, so now we're going to basically kind of race ourselves through verses 6 through 20. Verses 6 through 20. Um, verses 6 through 20, we see the future of the destruction of the wicked. The future of the destruction of the wicked. Uh, so this section is divided um, into two parts itself. All right, first we're going to see these. There's three angelic heralds. All right, so three angels um, who come and they say something and announce something. Uh, and then we're going to see the harvest of the earth. All right, and there's going to be two uh, metaphors used for this. All right, the big idea, of course, is there's the future destruction of the world. Um, so, uh, the angelic heralds. The angelic heralds. So, our first angel that appears in verse 6, I heard another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel um, that uh, this angel is announcing to the the world. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made uh, him who makes who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of life. Um, What this angel is announcing is the long awaited reign of God in Christ, the consummation of this, that this kingdom, okay, that has been foreseen, uh, like passages like Daniel chapter 2, spoken of by Jesus in the New Testament when he came, it is coming to its consummation. And more specifically, okay, as we see here, that this is a time of judgment. This is a specific time of judgment. And the call, interesting call, if you will, the call is uh, to fear God and worship Him. Who made the heavens and the earth and the springs of water. In some ways, uh, looking back at Revelation chapter 4, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, receive glory and honor and praise, for you have created all things. Uh, there's, there's just a simple call of humanity to fear Him who is the Creator. That there is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And He is the creator of all things. And so the first angel announces a summon for all to fear God and worship Him for the day of judgment has arrived. All right, our second angel here. 
our second angel here in the text. Um, fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. All right, what this angel is announcing is the impending downfall of worldliness. Okay, this angel is now announcing the impending downfall of worldliness. All right, so Babylon the Great, uh, quick explanation. Um, Babylon the Great, of course, uh, the, well, the, the ultimate depiction, okay, that we are seeing here from Babylon the Great, all right, this idea of Babylon, uh, is a culture or a society of outright lawlessness, okay? Uh, let's remove God in every way from society. Okay, outright lawlessness. Everything is against God, okay? We are, um, the idea of, out, uh, of paganism, okay, in the immediate context, so uh, this is, of course, symbolically what Babylon the Great is referring to. Okay? Now, there's also a very real sense to the first century audience, a very real sense of what this is. At this point in time, um, well, historically, Israel, so Babylon, of course, uh, um, takes Israel into exile uh, in the Old Testament. And so, but now, in this current time, um, uh, is, the, is the empire of Rome, okay? as John is writing. And so the empire of Rome, in, in many ways, is, is an empire of complete lawlessness, okay, of godlessness. Okay, not only that, um, but uh, an empire that is currently persecuting Christians. Okay, like, like Christians are being martyred in Rome. And so there's also a very real immediate sense. Okay, but, but what this is referring to, of course, is a Babylon-like a Babylon-like uh, kingdom, if you will, that, that, that um, it will completely be done away with. Everything that Babylon the Great stands for will completely be done away with. Lawlessness. All of this. It will completely be done away with at this time of judgment. Um, we also see the picture here, of course, of she who made the nations drink the wine of her passion of immorality. All right, so not only... Not only is this a, a, a culture or society of, of lawlessness and godlessness, but this is a culture or society who is influencing other cultures and societies into this lawlessness, this godlessness. Um, <clears throat> so uh, this, this does bring something very real to our, to our attention. Um, just... Um, it, I say this uh, not likening the country we live in to completely to, um, to what John is after here, uh, but to say to us, um, you know, let's, let's be careful. Um, so a good illustration of this would be, uh, I believe this was a few years ago, and I can't remember all the exacts of this, but uh, I think it was a CBS News anchor was in a Middle Eastern country interviewing a politician. And... Um, in this interview, uh, the CBS anchor, this is probably four years ago or so, the CBS anchor is asking this politician about their, this country's current view on um, same-sex marriage, on homosexuality. And the politician here in the East is, is, is very, uh, I would say, kind of defensive, um, and they see it as sin. Okay? Their, their, their nation sees it as sin, um, though they may not define it as that. Uh, and this CBS politician was, um, was, was so uh, just, just wanting to, to, to argue and influence this individual of this Western idea that, that this is okay. All right, my, my point is, is certainly not to bring up um, you know, the entire dialogue over this issue, but that... Uh, not everything, so to speak, that our nation stands for is praiseworthy and mighty and great and what we should be worshiping, if you will. All right, so fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. Um, the uh, um, lawlessness that Babylon the Great signifies and stands for will be no more. Um, so I think the heart question is, I think the hard question is, um, when you hear that, like, like wickedness will be no more. Like not, not, not just the, the worst things you can ever think of, but 
just the small things as well. Like, wickedness will be no more. Like, how does our heart respond to that? Does our heart respond in, in, in joy? Does our heart respond maybe a little bit indifferently? Um, their wickedness will, will be no more. So, uh, the third proclamation of the angel, um, we'll go through this, and we're probably not going to spend a lot of time on 14 to 20. Uh, they are both the same ideas here. Um, both the same ideas here, um, just for sake of time. Uh, so we get the third angel uh, who is describing the eternal torment of those who worship the beast. The third angel here describes the eternal torment of those who worships the beast. Of those who worship the beast. So we're going to ask two questions. All right, who, who are these people, um, and what will happen to them? So who are they? Quite simply, anyone who worships the beast or has the mark of the beast, the mark of Satan. Um, in other words, as we uh, talked about earlier that these are um, anyone who uh, who is associated um, with 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 Satan anyone who who has not repented of their sin um, and trusted in God's plan through his son to save the world um, this is who they are uh, and so we what we see here is picture of chapter 13 where the saints are suffering and we see a much, 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 much worse judgment on those who have denied God. And there is some uh, significant, eye-opening, sobering imagery that is used. What will happen to them? Uh, the destination of those who are marked by the beast uh, will be a horrific and terrorizing destination. They will drink of the wine of God's wrath poured full strength. Um, of course, this is uh, a reference to the imagery of um, the dilution of wine or the cutting of wine, uh, which is common, of course, in our culture, also common um, in the first century culture. Um, and in many ways, uh, one of the most common ways was to dilute wine with water at this point in time. So you'd get a very, very low like alcohol content. Um, uh, um, the wrath of God, uh, John says, uh, will not be diluted. It is full. John's saying it's thorough and it's complete. Uh, they will be tormented with fire and sulfur forever and ever. The language here, of course, is a reference back to Sodom and Gomorrah, but uh, in no way is that um, uh, belittling uh, what John, again, is trying to communicate uh, this is eternal, um, eternal tear. So, so um, two things. Uh, one, this is this is a very real place, and uh, this is a very real place, and and um, uh, I would say now. Um, uh, I certainly don't know everyone in this room. I, um, do you have the mark of the beast or do you have the mark of the Lamb or of God, of, uh, God the Father? Have you repented and trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Um, this is a real place. Uh, secondly, um, for all of us and especially the believer, um, our culture uh, has 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 watered this down. Uh, the evangelical culture has watered down the reality of hell and, and it's happened in my soul. Um, the culture, the secular culture at large, uh, I mean, this can't even be talked about. And so, um, how do we handle this reality faithfully? Uh, in fact, I um, apologize, we're not, not going to really get to 14 to 20 just because of time purposes. Um, I would like to apply this. Um, 14 to 20 is going to be a very similar illustration. Uh, a wine press and the trotting of grapes, that God's wrath is the trotting of wine, the trotting of grace, the stomping of feet, and that this, 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 the, 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 the juice of these grapes rises to a horse's bridle for 
1600 stadia again again the, the image that john has is it's complete it's it's thorough it's it's absolute it's done it's over and so um how do we deal with this uh now um i think i, I think the first thing is is um is ourselves right so John puts both pictures side by side. So when we flip the, the picture here from 13 to 14, we, we have two images. We have the image of the, triumph, the triumph. We have the image of the destruction. And so our eyes go here first. And John's saying our eyes need to be looking in both places. Um, and so I, how do we deal with it personally? And then secondly, of course, um, this is this is this is the most convicting for me. Who who are we talking to? Um, who who are we talking to? Like uh, who are we sharing the gospel with? And, and more so is 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 the the reality of hell in our gospel presentations. I mean, again, this is. This is where we get this idea of fire and brimstone, but I, this is not John's heart. I mean, what should our response be? I mean, our response should be tears. And action. Let's go back to verses 1 through 5. I'll wrap this thing up. Um, John has certainly two pictures in our mind. All right? We have this picture of destruction we just talked about. We have the picture of triumph of the faithful in heaven. Um, and what John is asking for us today is to remain faithful. Remain faithful in our culture today. Okay? We're certainly not living in Revelation 13. Okay? But we are influenced on a daily basis by the things of this world. Live faithful today. One point of application would just be, uh, if I can help you, um, <clears throat> uh, maybe build into our routines um, the uh, the meditation uh, of maybe specifically longing or, or thinking about texts and passages of of uh, of the glory of God to come and the worship of God to come. Uh, let me pray for us, Father. We just thank you for our time this morning and. Um, God, we thank you, God, that you have not left us in our sin. Um, although, God, this is challenging and hard, and we just thank you, Lord, that, that you have that you have made a way in Jesus back to you. Uh, may God, I pray that our hearts would be anchored in uh, such a place of worship, God, such a place of worship. And so, uh, we pray that in Jesus' name, Amen.